Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, and real. Real, real. Welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. This podcast is for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye the church. We're three friends balancing the secular and sacred, the righteous and ratchet, as we discuss current topics through a gospel lens. We might say some things we're not supposed to. But you are probably thinking it anyway. You know how we say in the church. Charge to our head, head and not our heart. We're going to keep it real. Great day, great day, everybody. Welcome to Righteous, Ratchet, and Real. This is your girl, Greta, and I'm here with the beautiful Takesha Harris and the lovely Renee Wingate Sims. Say hello, ladies. Hello. Hey, what's up, (laughs) y'all? What's up? What's up? Today, guys, we want to talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts. We each have love for our beloved HBCUs and maybe even a little hate. But that's another story. I'm talking about just practices. Can we do something with the practices? But anyway, that's another story. We have a whole lot of love for our HBCUs. And I think we each have our own experiences with HBCUs. I attended the Alabama a and University. Go Bulldogs. Uh, my son is at an HBCU. Yay. And my parents both attended Miles College and Texas Southern University. Uh, ladies, real quick, what's what's your experiences with HBCUs? <laughs> Did you go and put on your Howard shirt just for this? <laughs> I had my Howard shirt on before. Now, was okay, I'm like, wait a minute, because let me run upstairs real quick and get oh. my Lincoln shirt. <laughs> I've always got a ram in the bush. I always got a Howard shirt laying around somewhere. <laughs> always. We stay strapped over here. Well, clearly, yes. we have Howard in the house. Yes, we definitely have. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I attended the uh, often imitated but never duplicated Woo! the Mecca, the original HU, Howard, the Howard University at 2400 6th Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2001. Wow. Not right. the address. Yeah. Right. So ask the I, Alabama A&M's address. <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, all I know is this Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. I don't know what the, the mailing address <laughs> is. So don't ask me. I mean, but I will say that we paved the way as huh? the first HBCU. All right. Now, others may try to claim that title, but we will shut Mm. them down very quickly Mm. and put them in their place and help them understand what they need to say and how they need to preface it, you know. But uh, Lincoln and Cheney have a long history of going back and forth on who is the first, but, Uh you know, they, they were a high school and 
we were a degree granting institution by the time they actually came up and started doing college degrees. So, you know, if they want to say that they are the first, they must preface it by saying we, you know, became, you know, a college after. So that's just my two cents right there. But my Lincoln love is strong. And most importantly, you know, one thing we always say is that we can fight amongst ourselves because we family. Mm-hmm. But don't you dare Uh-oh. come from the outside Uh-oh. and try to come for an HBCU because we're going to shut you down real quick. <laughs> and for those of you who cannot see, you're not watching on YouTube, Takesha had the hand movement and the head. To right. go with to go with her comments, they accompanied her comments because she meant what she said, and she said what she meant. Amen. <laughs> Let the church say, Amen. Amen. But guys, we are we want to um, kind of talk about this subject that came up um, not too long ago. So recently, Church of God in Christ, the seminary that's associated with them, is called the Charles H. Manson Seminary. Uh, which was housed at ITC. And for those of you who may not know, ITC stands for, uh-oh, uh-oh, Renee? Charles Mason. Child, you done named I, it after Manson? murderer. Charles I thought I did. You ma'am. know what? Ma'am. <laughs> Charles Mason. Oh, Mason. my God. Thank you. Charles Mason, not Manson. <laughs> Thank you for that, Renee. <laughs> I know somebody was like, hold on, did she say Manson? Yeah, I did. My bad. But uh, Charles H. Mason, okay, seminary, um, and and that they were our house were housed at ITC. And so, for those who may not know, ITC stands for the Interdenominational Theological Center, which is um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is considered an HBCU. Well, anyway, recently, uh, this seminary aligned themselves with the Pentecostal Theological Seminary which is part of the church of God and is largely considered to be a PWI, primarily white institution. Of course, this would be no problem if the Pentecostal Theological Seminary were not one, right-leaning in their political and theological ideologies. There's no need for it two because one is enough. Um, but our question is not about that, however. It's not about their ideology so much. Uh, we're naming this situation to kind of launch into a far more wider problem and issue, which is the funding of our HBCUs. Because whether you agree with what Kojic did or not in aligning with the seminary, it begs the question, was this done due to a lack of funding and alumni support of that seminary? And with that lack of funding, is this what led them to make such a drastic move? Ladies, what any thoughts on, on that? It takes money to run a college, to run a seminary. I mean, it, it does. And uh-huh. <clears throat> for me, it, it also asks the question of how far are we willing to go? What are we willing to lose? In order to stay afloat, in order to stay open, you know, are we willing to compromise uh, what we believe, you know, in terms of the liberation of our people? But if you're not coming from a liberative framework anyway, you, you know, that that's a whole other conversation. So, I don't know, Keisha. Yeah. Um, it it's interesting 
as we're coming up on this whole, you know, Supreme Court, Supreme Court decision on affirmative action. Mm. And the response that I have seen in large part um, from, you know, people who went to HBCUs, HBCUs is to get back to the understanding that HBCUs matter, right? Mm-hmm. There's always been a place where we could go to and count on for our education. And then the conversation went to the fact that we have to be willing to take that on our backs. Like we have to fund those institutions. Like our ancestors started them because mm-hmm. there were not places where they could go and they could be educated. And so it is on us to keep them alive, to keep them afloat and to, you know, uh, put our money into it. And it also talk, you know, when I think about, I went to a United Methodist uh, school for divinity. And when I look at how, you Mm -hmm. know, their churches Mm -hmm. also fund those yeah. schools. And I can say that as much as I love Wesley, I did not choose Payne, um, which is the AME school. That's a whole other thing. But um, I will say that I appreciate how the AME church has started, um, you know, I, I guess rallying ministers to consider Payne more mm, mm-hmm. and to, 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 make it so that we are funding our schools and we are not just looking at funding other people's schools. So we have to, to be creative. We can't, <laughs> we can't just wait, you know, for other people mm-hmm. to have our back. We have to figure right. out how we have our own back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately in this situation, the righteous really seems to be the ratchet. Um, and I say that because there are a couple of scriptures that come to mind when I think about, you know, this whole aspect of money. And, and, and let me just name that for this episode, a lot of this is conjecture. You know, we're saying what if, right? Um, but Deuteronomy 28 and 12 says you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And, and just that scripture alone implies that there's something wrong or at least not quite right or good about being in a position of a borrower. And then Proverbs 22 and 7 pretty much outright says it perfectly clear. It says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And so, you know, in my opinion, this situation could be and probably is a clear example of what it means to become the lender's slave. They just signed the agreement And this agreement that they sign, no one really knows what the agreement entails. And and if you read some of the stories, some of the comments that are surrounding the story, alumni are are pissed that their institution did this because they don't know what this agreement means. And so when you're forced to partner with someone who has more than you, let's say, you ultimately have to bow down to the demands of the one who has the more. And so... Going into this situation, they're kind of secretive, apparently, about what it means. Um, but on the other side of that, if alumni had done their part and given back, and, and let me say, I don't know what alumni gave or ha- or did or did not do. But if the school had been more supportive, I won't put it all on the shoulders of the alumni. If the school had been better financially supported, perhaps this type of move and agreement would not have even been necessary. 
and, and this is just one um one instance right of our schools being poorly uh financially supported but we know that this happens across the spectrum of hbcus um and could really go for any one of them um what do you guys think about this how does this hit home for you in terms of how our schools and our being hbcus about how our schools are financially supported or not by alumni or otherwise? I will say this, that I uh, <clears throat> went to Howard, but I'm a Howard dropout. And I finished my bachelor's degree at a PWI. Um, but I still consider myself as an alumni, according to the, the definition mm -hmm. uh, that Howard uses. And I still give back. Like they're the only institution okay. that, I, that I give to. Um, and it's automated. Like every month, I ain't got to worry about it. That because I believe in the mission of Howard. Mm -hmm. And yes, I stood in those registration lines that were as long as, like the cheese lines back in the day, or the or the gas lines back in 1974. Yeah. Like like uh, yes, I did that. I had issues mm -hmm. with you know registrar, the bursar's office. I had a real hard time. Mm. I was actually there when the bursar was led out of the A building in handcuffs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so you know, I, I have those vivid memories, but I still believe in the mission of Howard University. I still believe in the little bit of education that I got there, which was not just a little bit, it was everything for me. Mm. So, you know, where your treasure is, your where your heart is, your treasure will be also, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, that's, that's close. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. My is on the yard. And so I want my treasure, right, mm -hmm. to, to be there to bless somebody else to, so that another student doesn't have to stand in that long line crying because they don't know how they're <laughs> how they're going to get validated. I don't even know if they do it that way anymore. But, it, you know, getting validated for the next semester. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, I believe in the mission. And I know if I don't support it, if we don't support it, right. nobody else. And because Howard is... Uh, has a unique, um, a unique partnership with Washington D.C. and with the federal government. At any given time, okay. a president can be like, "Nah, we don't need that money. Let me cut that out of our, you know, our budget." Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really important. I see these big PWIs with these huge endowments. Like these folks leave millions, tens, and hundreds of millions of dollars to their institutions because they spent, you know, those are the best four years of their lives. Why right. are we doing the same thing? Right. We, not, we not have the same amount of wealth, but what is it? Equal, uh, what is it? Unequal gifts, but equal sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. You make sure that you are sacrificing some to, to for the betterment of the, the whole. So that's, mm -hmm. not, that's how I feel about that. I'm always going to support Howard, even when I don't agree, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on, even when stuff is shady, I'm still ride, ride and die for AG. And before you come in, Keisha, let me just say, and, and just in talking about Howard, as you were talking, Renee, um, I think this episode will, so this week that we're recording this episode, guys, it came out that there were some students attacked on Howard's campus. Yes. And I just want to, you know, say, you know, we are praying for those kids, um, that whole situation 
because when you send your children away to school, you want them to be safe, not only be safe, but you want them to feel safe. And I can only imagine what um, what this has done for the the feeling of safety on on the yard. And so our hearts go out to those kids. Go ahead, Keisha. Yeah, um, living in the city, I was saying that I had not heard about it on the news. I was like, but I don't really watch the news, y'all. Don't judge me. I just protected my peace since the Trump administration, and I just have not gone back. I was like, not that I don't read things, but you know, it has not been something that honestly the city has talked about. Usually, you know, you'll see it in Facebook feeds and stuff, but nobody's talked about it. Um, so yes, it's it's really sad. And I remember growing up, you know, in this area that whole, you know, when Howard's campus was unsafe, but it was unsafe for a very different reason, um, just crack epidemic and how that whole area was really affected by the people. So in general, the DMV is experiencing an uptick in crime and, you know, we, we're all trying to figure it out, you know, one way or the other, there's just been a, a lot of things happening, so. I can imagine that the Howard family is, you know, definitely feeling that. Um, when I was at Lincoln, we moved to where it's getting state funding. Mm-hmm. And we protested very hard. Students were protesting very hard because we understood that it meant that our community had the potential to change because of more white students coming in, one. Two, also them um, being able to have a lot more say in what our classes looked like in terms of what teachers were allowed to teach. Mm -hmm. And I think that that goes back to your statement that you made, Greta, about, you know, when we're getting other people to fund our, you know, Mm -hmm. our institutions, then they have a say and what we're able to teach. And so when we're in a general uh, state within the country or climate within the country where people are so adamantly against critical race theory, looking at the actual history, much of what I learned about the country, much of what I learned to be critical about race and Mm -hmm. all of um, its effect, you know, the fact that it, you know, is systemic, came Mm -hmm. from my experience of attending an HBCU and having professors that were radical and did not have to be censored in the information that they presented towards to us. Although I went to a PWI um, for my seminary degree, I went to a very liberal PWI that is willing to look at the historical inaccuracies within the biblical text. They are committed to actually presenting information in which you are looking at scholars from diverse backgrounds so that they can push back on the text. And they are not just presenting what has traditionally been a white uh, male hermeneutical interrogation of the text. And Mm -hmm. so they are fully committed to that. And when I decided to do that, as opposed to going to Howard Divinity School, that was for me what was very important. Not just that they gave me money or, you know, (laughs) go go off of money, but it was really the fact that they were committed to presenting different 
authors so that, you know, I could look at liberation theology from um, a Hispanic point of view and I could look at, you know, Asian um, dissenting voices. And so we do have to know that sometimes when we're trying to save ourselves, we can put ourselves in positions where we ultimately lose who we are. And I think we have to dis offer in this discussion that ITC is traditionally a space where a lot of scholarly work has been done that pushes back against that, again, that white hermeneutical right. perspective. And so for a school to then go to a completely different mm -hmm partnership where it is a conservative um, right-leaning right. says a lot about what they were willing to give up in the process, you know, whether it be to stay afloat or um, whatever it is, it is, it's, it's a 360 on, well, 180, 180. a 180 turn, you know, because they're going in a completely different um, direction. And I can't imagine what amount of mm -hmm. money or what amount of we need to save made them choose that and not consider other options, whether it be that they, you know, really just start reaching out to other black institutions and saying, hey, like, let's get a think tank together. Mm -hmm. And I feel that oftentimes we can look at white dollars and kind of going back to this whole white savior episode that we did, we can often look at their dollars as willing and able to save us. And the reality is, if they're coming to save you, they also are benefiting from yep. you and they are going to do whatever they do. And it's not going to be in your best interest. Nine out of 10 times. All right. And, and it just reminds me of that phrase that all money ain't good money. Amen. Thanks, facts. And like you said, there's they have they're having to give something up. And I think that is the, the part that is really making the alumni kind of clutch their pearls. Is, is that a, a bad phrase to say? I hope I'm not saying that. And some folk are like, oh, my gosh, you said that. I don't really know what that means, but I know it's not good. OK, so anyway, so some have questioned and this kind of takes me back to what Renee mentioned about seeing the bursar taken away in handcuffs. Right. So some have questioned, why is it that the HBU suffers so much in terms of finances? Why is there so much corruptness around money at the HBCU? And I would say it's not that there's no mismanagement of funds or lack of corruption at the PWI. Let's get that straight. Right. But the scale of money involved is often what makes the difference. And like you mentioned, Renee, most PWIs, they have endowments, they have people leaving money and their wills to the million to, to the tune of millions of dollars. The scale of income that the PW your your random every run of the run of the mill PWI gets, you really can't even compare it, y'all. It's 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 like bananas and watermelon or something, right? So if somebody mismanages those funds, it's literally a drop in the bucket. And it goes almost unnoticeable. But when it's done at our HBCUs that are already dealing with far less funding to work with, mismanagement of fund is easily recognizable. 
and is felt far more deeply financially speaking. You know, if I mismanage a million versus mismanaging my 10, which one I'm a, that 10 is really going to be felt. And, and so, Renee, you've kind of already addressed this. You said you're, you're giving 10 toes down regardless. Uh, but Keisha, what about you? Has the mismanagement of funds ever stopped you from giving to your alma mater or to anyone for that, you know, for that matter? Um, I'm sure there are institutions, other institutions that I have. I can't say that I've I've heard necessarily of Lincoln, you know, having mm -hmm. major issues in mm -hmm. that area. Um, but we have, you know, like may not have this agreed with um like somebody they were going to put in place or take out of place and so people have you know like been like okay wait <laughs> alumni has a say in this mm -hmm. and the greatest say that we have is our our coins like right. you want this this coins then you need to hear us out and hear where we're going but i want to um kind of uh, just talk real quick about the fact that, you you know, this whole idea of PWIs mismanaging or not mismanaging their funds. I think that part of it is that we've seen even in the Black church mm -hmm. is that oftentimes our systems have not always been the best systems with True. tracking and keeping track. And that's why people are able to get away with things that they get away with. Mm -hmm. And knowing a um, large institution, I'm, I, I was like, because I'm, I'm not going to call names is, is the point. <laughs> but I know a very large uh, white institution who uh, found out that millions were stolen from them. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it's not a, it is a, um, it is college related. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll okay. say that it's college related. And it was a huge deal that it was missed mm -hmm. for all those years. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to speak about why it was missed. The mm -hmm. person who was stealing definitely was adept at it, but they were very personable. Mm. And I, I just want to say as much as HBCUs can be a headache. Mm hmm faculty and people in the bursar's office we knew them you mm -hmm. know what i mean like you may have been frustrated you may have may have called a name oh, right to yeah but yeah. at the end of the day it's still a very familial relationship and i True. think that sometimes that is part of why our institutions probably are easier targets for mm -hmm. this situation is because there's so much camaraderie and familial bond that happens that systems tend to be lax. So although there were checks and balances within this particular um, um, PWI organization, mm -hmm. this person just made friends with everybody. Mm -hmm. And so she would just come in with a conversation and be like, oh, can you sign this? And mm -hmm. they're focused mm -hmm. on okay. her and their relationship with her, assuming that she's on the up and up mm -hmm. and they sign in papers and documents. And she was over and over again, getting away with it because wow. she was good at the sleight of hand. Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that has to be considered in our institution. Um, one of our, well, 
There are probably more than one of our organizations uh, within the AME Church, Greta, who had, you know, this type of uh, problem come up. And, you know, I was like, we've had, you know, times where it looked like our schools were going to close down because of this same mismanagement of of funds. And, you know, there's not necessarily heads that roll because we love people and we Christian and we don't want them to, you know, to have to pay the price. And y'all can I just say and put a stamp right here. We can forgive people and still demand justice. Like this is a word for just our lives in general. Okay. <laughs> Say love. I'm keeping my head down because I can think of one individual right now who head should be rolling and they still throwing uh banquets and stuff for this individual. And I'm saying to myself, ain't we supposed to be mad at him? <laughs> and I'm like, why are we acting like he went over okay look when i think about how many people within our families are you know sexual predators and have been protected Mm -hmm. because they family and that's business right and we rather tell the person who has been hurt and harmed to forgive yep than to actually hold them. So I think it is a systemic or a deeper running issue, I should say, you know, within our communities that have allowed us to be vulnerable to these incidents happening on multiple levels. And we, as the church, because we always talk about the fact that we, we are very much so willing to trouble the waters, we as the church have to do a better job on preaching forgiveness and not preaching forgiveness from the perspective of the white ideology that we learned Mm. that causes us to just let people mistreat us and Mm -hmm. say, we forgive them and not hold them accountable. Yep. Like you just said, forgiveness and justice can coexist. What is that cheap grace? When you don't don't hold people accountable and you just forgive them. That's just cheap. And that look, and that was a white theologian. That was Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. Yeah, right. That talks about that. Sure. But it it meant that we weren't just gonna forgive the Nazis right. for the crimes that they committed, right? And not hold, not them, hold them accountable accountable for it. But for some reason, the way that we have been taught. <laughs> Mm. You know, with as, especially as enslaved people around that, and it still persists in our communities and to our detriment in financial institutions as well. To our detriment, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, a whole mess. So I'll say for me, um, I have not done my part when it comes to supporting my alma mater. Not because of the mismanagement of funds, and there have been several instances where Alabama A&M mismanaged funds, um, but simply because I had money doing other stuff. Um, but now, on this side of it, and seeing my own child at his HBCU, um, and knowing some of the hurdles we had to overcome with funding and scholarships and all of that. Um, my husband and I, we have decided to do more 
um, not only for his school, but also for our own school. Um, I've always also had a sense of wanting to do something at Miles College just because that's where my parents attended and, and they had so much love for Miles College. Um, and even were you know faculty there um, for a number of years. Um, so I do see myself doing something with that in the near future. But we've also, Brad and I, we've also decided that we want to do more with local scholarships. Um, seeing, you know, our son, thankfully, was able to benefit from, from a few of those. And those organizations are doing some really, really good work, uh, especially with African-American young men. And so we are definitely going to step up our game in terms of supporting our alma mater, in terms of supporting local scholarships. Um, but I would say that if we're waiting on the government, if we're waiting on some type of equitable move from the government for our HBCUs, that ain't happening, y'all. Um, and we have to do more to support our own. Yes, I love homecoming too. But our homecoming dollars do not support our HBCUs the way we think they do. Um, most of us, when we go to homecoming, we do not go to the game. We tailgate. And that little tailgate fee that we're paying is not adding big bucks to our school. Um, the parties that we attend are not really helping our school. Now, they're... If we take Huntsville, for example, where Alabama A&M is, Huntsville thrives because we're paying money for hotels. We're paying money for food. Some of y'all, some of y'all, I didn't say me, some of y'all yeah. paying money for liquor, the brown liquor and the white. Um, but the school does not see that money. And so, yes, we're filling up Huntsville. We're, we're going home for homecoming, but the school sees very little of the dollars that we're taking with us and spending at homecoming. So us going to homecoming is not us supporting our institutions. It's just not. So do better than going to homecoming. Um, and, and, and we just have to do better overall. Um, ticket sales, tailgate fees, that, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. And so if we don't take care of our own who will? Because like I said, it's not going to come from the government. And, and even when you compare what the PWI gets compared to what our HBCUs get from the government, that's not even a good comparison because they're getting far more dollars than we are. So there's there's not going to be equity in that. And Takesha, you already mentioned affirmative action. I mean, any way that they can try to cut Black people it's not even black and brown at this point black people they're gonna do it and so um yeah we have to really step up our game now i will say with that affirmative action move i know our schools are going to see and have already seen upticks in in enrollment for example this is the largest incoming class AM has ever seen uh with over two thousand kids this is one of the largest classes that my son's institution has seen with over 800 kids. And so we know that enrollment is on the uptick. But with that, 
Our schools are going to need and already need housing. So that's the next thing. And so who is going to fund the housing efforts at our HBCUs if we're not putting in and doing our part to make that happen? And so, yes, it's ugly all the way around when it comes to housing, but I want to make sure that our kids have a place to stay and they're not having to go look for outside housing that is in that is even more unsafe than what some of our dormitories are. Ladies, any final words from you guys? I'm con convicted. <laughs> and I always wrestle with this. I think what it is is that we have been we are preached every Sunday. We are preached to um mm. about tithing yes. and offerings within our yes. um churches. And so I'm like I say all the time, I'm like, baby, I can't give to everybody now. <laughs> like, you know, I do have a charity. My my um sister died from cancer. So I, you know, I I I consistently give there as well. So there are definitely a lot of um things and I always put off, like I'm like, okay, I'm I'm gonna give. And I've given little, um, a little amount sometimes, but I think that one, I was like, we can commit to a certain amount, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, every year that we can personally give to our our schools, um, regardless. And so um, I will say that I appreciated our bishop was very, very um, intentional about um, making sure that we give to the um, NAACP and that mm -hmm. we give to um, what's the scholarship fund? UNCF. Thank you. UNCF, that we were intentional about doing that. And so I did give that way, but I do need to um, specifically consider my school and what my annual contribution will be. And then also, it doesn't always have to be that we do it, um, you know, by ourselves, our mm -hmm. jobs having matching, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. we can approach them if they don't you know, go to your job and see if they'll match it. Now, you know, Greta and I are at the church and they not. They're not going to match. At but all. if you work at a traditional job, go ahead and, you know, offer to them, you know, that you are a product of that university and they you would like them to consider doing matching um, funding for your HBCU. Keisha, you named what my money was doing. I was like, when I said my money was doing other stuff, yeah. You named it. Guys, Look, yeah. First of I'm all, fine. I was a youth minister for years. Okay. And if anybody has done youth ministry in the black Ooh. church, y'all understand. Yeah. yeah. That line budget item Man. half the time ain't even there. And if it's there, you run through that thing with one event. <laughs> And mm -hmm. so I'm like, I have bought pizza. I have helped kids out. Luck. Yep. So it's not that I've not been a giver. <laughs> it's just exactly. that I'm like, I got to remind myself that all my money don't go to the church house. All right. That's that's what you I were mean. giving the other things. I got yeah. you. Right now, you got some final words. You're just trying to try to catch yourself before you cough. So, yeah. so I, sorry, that was a cough that was getting ready. To oh, okay. 
I felt it. I was like, I said, mm, no, I, I, I know, I recognize that whole trying to hold it down. <laughs> so I, I just will uh, encourage our listeners today to really consider, um, consider their giving, consider, you know, the value of a, an education at an HBCU, even the value of sending your children. Right. That's something that we are mm -hmm. um, thinking about right now. And, you know, I would love it if my kids uh, were to go to an HBCU, particularly Howard, H-U, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I would be brokenhearted if they went to another HBCU, but I would still want them to go, you know, mm -hmm. because um, it's 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 something that we keep on the family. It is something that is distinctly and uniquely ours. It's culturally mm -hmm. ours. Um, and it's it's also about self-determination, right? Mm. It's our ability to name ourselves and to do do uh, what we see fit mm -hmm. um, and learn as we see fit. Mm -hmm. And so I just can't recommend HBCUs enough. Um, and, you know, send your kids, send your dollars. If you're an alumni, give back, do, do all the things. Um, because that that is an, a path for liberation for us. Amen. Kwanzaa, look, I keep saying I'm gonna do Kwanzaa every year, and we do it slight. But this year, you said self determination. Yes. I'm about to do a Kwanzaa pledge, and I'm gonna have everybody give like, mm. so <laughs> that we can support an HBCU, and not just Lincoln. But I'm like, we, I'm a, I'm a name a school every. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna be okay. creative about this, but awesome. Yeah, I love it. We love to see it. Yep. Very good. Well, we appreciate you all tuning in to the Righteous Ratchet and Real podcast. Do what you can in terms of supporting an HBCU or local scholarships in your area or through your church. And we also ask that you would please send us a review. We need your reviews. Please, 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 wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review. And we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Again, thank you for tuning in. This is the Righteous Ratchet and Real podcast. We'll catch you guys later. Peace.